You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Remain standing with me as we open up in a word of prayer. You realize we pray right now because we need the Lord so desperately to open our eyes to see truth. You know right now we pray because we need the Lord to open our hearts to what he wants to teach us. This is not something we're just doing. We're calling out upon God today to come and meet us here as we open up the Word of God. It's one of the most significant things that we can do as a body of believers, open up the Word of God and ask God to enlighten our minds and our hearts to the truth of His Word. So let's pray and pray with me. Please don't just listen to me pray in your hearts. Pray with me as as we pray. Father, I've just finished singing about you are so holy, so high and majestic and mighty. So set apart, so perfect, so righteous. And yet, Lord, as we look at ourselves, we recognize that we are not like you in any way. We are so sinful and so prone to our own natural desires. And Lord, we see who you are, we see who we are, and we're like, wow, what a, what a vast gap between us and you. And yet, God, we thank you today that you sent Jesus Christ to fill in that gap by the power of the cross to bring you near to us and us near to you. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that we can see you clearly through your word. Thank you that we can worship you from the bottom of our hearts this morning. And God, as we come and open up your word now, we simply pray this. God, show us and teach us from your word. God, we want to surrender ourselves. You want to get, we want to get lower today. God, we want you to get higher. We want to take a, a posture of, of being taught. God, you're the teacher. We're the pupil. And as we open up your word, God, we don't want to just get out of it what we think we should. We want to get out of it what you want us to get out of it. So, so teach us today. God, our ears are open. Our hearts are wide. Speak to us, O oh Lord. That's our greatest desire. That's why we came. Yes, to hang out with friends, to meet people that we know, but more importantly, to worship you and to hear from you. And so, God, we surrender ourselves. Here we are, Lord. Do in our lives whatever you see fit for the glory of your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 9 is where we are this morning. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 20. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up by waving vigorously at one of the ushers. They'll be happy to stop and get you a copy of God's Word, the greatest book that's ever been written into your hands so you can follow along. Acts chapter 9 is where we're at, starting at verse 20. In 1989, Tom Petty wrote a hit song that went something like this. Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the, at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. No, I'll stand my ground. I won't turn around and, and I'll keep this world from dragging me down. I'm going to stand my ground and I won't back down. I won't back down. There ain't no easy way out. I won't back down. Hey, I will stand my ground and I won't back down. Well, I know what's right. I just got one life in a world that keeps on pushing me around, but I'll stand my ground. I won't back down. Guess what the title of that song is? Won't back down. There you go. Although I'm sure when that song was written, it had nothing to do with Christ or standing for Jesus. Here's the truth that I thought about all week as I studied this passage in Acts chapter 9. Here's the truth. When we truly encounter Jesus Christ in a saving way, the Holy Spirit gives us a passionate love for Jesus and a resolute spirit of tenacity in standing for truth and sharing the gospel. So that we then would echo the same words that were written back in 89. That man, when it comes to Jesus, the things of God, there's something within me that won't let me back down. Amen? This is what we see clearly in the life of Saul in Acts chapter 9. And honestly, this is the true reality of every believer that has also been changed by Jesus and jumped onto his mission of making his name be known throughout the earth. 
As we start Acts chapter 9 here, we see the, the second part of Acts chapter 9, we see clearly this. It's a picture of the, the changed Saul. It's a picture of what Saul was like after he encountered Jesus. Remember the beginning of chapter 8? We saw the old Saul, right? The guy who was like persecuting Christians, antagonistic against God, and wanted nothing to do with God. Then we see in Acts 9 last week the fact that, that the light of the world encountered Saul and, and changed everything for him from the inside out. And now as we get to the second half of chapter 9, we see what exactly that practically looked like in Saul's life. So it's sort of like the before and after picture of Saul. Kind of like if you ever watched, you ever watched a Fixer Upper. Get these old dilapidated houses and they go in and then they show the before or after picture at the end of the show, right? And you're like, wow, that is amazing. That's completely different. This is what we're seeing in the life of Saul, what we see in the life of every believer that has truly encountered Jesus Christ. And for Saul, it happened instantaneously. For, for some, it just sort of happens uh, a little bit at a time. But, but for sure, this is going to be the result of a changed life in Jesus Christ. We're going to be called on God's mission, and God's going to fill our hearts with this inner resolve to never back down for Jesus or the gospel. Here's point number one. I want you to write in your notes as we begin reading this text. As a result of my new life in Jesus, I can't back down from promoting Jesus as the Son of God. As a result of my new life in Jesus, I can't back down from promoting Jesus as the Son of God. Starting at verse 19. Little subtitle says, Saul proclaims Jesus in the synagogues. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. So immediately he goes and he joins forces with the opposition. And immediately he proclaims Jesus in the synagogue saying this, just six words, summarizing all his whole message. But he simply says this, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Verse 22, but Saul, as he's doing this, increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving, in fact, that Jesus was the Christ. Some important truths in these first few verses we can't miss uh, today. Look at the first thing Saul does after conversion. The first thing he does is immerse himself with a group of believers. For, for, for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. We don't know how many days that was, but the picture is this. Once we're saved, we automatically gravitate to those who we didn't used to like. We automatically want to become like those that we wanted to oppose. We want to join forces with them. I think of, I think of athletes who are on one team, and over the, over the, uh, the break in, in their schedules, they, they sign on with another team, and all of a sudden they come back, and they're with like a whole new group of friends. They, and they, they jump in the, the, the new locker room or the new clubhouse, and they're, they, they, they got a whole new outlook, a whole new focus, and they got a whole new uniform, a whole new camaraderie. This is what Saul was doing. As he became saved, he had a whole new set of allegiances. He's now going shoulder to shoulder with the men that would teach him and strengthen him and push him in the right direction for the Lord. That they were going to go after this together. Think about this. This is, this is not one verse. That, there's not one verse in the Bible that's not there on purpose, right? So easily we skip over some, but think of even this. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Think, think of the radical change already that we see in, in Saul's life. Saul was a prominent man. He could have been like, well, you know what? I met Jesus and I've had this great experience. So forget you guys. I'm going to do my own thing. Paul was extremely educated. He could have looked at these, these guys like, huh, who are you? Like fishermen and smelly fishermen and, and dirty tax collectors and a whole lot of other who knows what and who cares. I'm going to do my own thing. But here's what, here's what Paul did in humility. Here's what God calls us to do. God calls us to surround ourselves with other believers that we might 
be taught and learn and be discipled and grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. When it says here that for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, I'm quite convinced, I'm 100% convinced, they weren't just sitting around drinking Coke and playing cards and talking about the, the latest, greatest athlete that came about. Here's what they were doing. Saul tells us, who became Paul, tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, here's, here's probably what they were doing. Here's what they were doing. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. And so simply what he was doing, he was getting his, his, his indoctrination into the Christian faith. He, he knew he didn't like Jesus. He knew he should oppose the believers, but he really had no idea what the whole community of believers is about. He really had no idea what, what Jesus Christ is really about, except from his studies of the Old Testament. And, and he had to learn the faith and, and adapt to a new culture. And so he was just simply trying to figure all of these things out by the Lord's guidance. It's really a good model for us, application already, one verse. It's a good model for us. So, so many people today think that you know, it's just me and God. I do God on my own terms with myself, and yet God never designed us that way. God always designed us to do life with a community of believers together and learn from those who are stronger in the faith. It says in Proverbs 11, verse 14, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Here's what this already speaks to us. If we've been in the faith for a little while, you know what we ought to be doing is bringing people along beside us that we can help grow up in the faith. It's not a matter of like sharing Christ. Now like pass them off with somebody else. I've done my job. Actually, we share Christ and we help someone know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's where the hard work really begins. Kind of envy those who are painters. You know, you can go into a house and it's, it's not painted and a week later it's painted and your job's done. In ministry, it's just not that way. It's always going, it's ongoing, and, and I just encourage you that if you've been in the faith a long time, you, you need to be bringing in the younger believers to teach them the word of God, equip them the word of God, and help them understand the culture and the calling of believers. Here's another thing this verse teaches us. We need to be willing to surround ourselves with wise counsel and be taught by others who are stronger in the faith. Constantly, it never ends. And someone tell me not too long ago, well, there's a certain place where you get to in your Christian life where all of a sudden now you don't need anybody else, it's just you and God. It's not that way in the scriptures. I still rely on those who are older than I am and who are more knowledgeable in the word and more experienced in the faith to, to guide me and to mentor me as I strive to live my life for Jesus Christ and strive to guide and mentor you in the ways of the faith. So it's just important for us to remember that there's no solo missions ever with Jesus Christ. We're never meant to do this in isolation. Clearly Saul got that by the grace of the Lord on his conversion. And the disciples got that and, and, and pulled him in to teach him. And so Saul, this first verse, verse 19 here, Saul is in God's university of ministry training. And yet, get this, as he's in this university of ministry training, he doesn't wait to graduate before he starts preaching and promoting Jesus Christ as the Son of God. See that in this text? And immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. Here's a natural result of a changed life in Jesus Christ. We become walking spokesmen, living spokesmen for the Savior, Jesus Christ. And what do we proclaim? We simply proclaim a simple message that Jesus is God's very son. When we see this, these six words, here's a summary of, of all that he said. Obviously, he preached a lot and he taught a lot, but all he was trying to do is help those around him know that Jesus Christ is the son of God. All he wanted to do is help people know that he, Jesus is the anointed one of God who came to be the Messiah or the savior of the world. 
Boil down our whole message, boil down the gospel. And what do we get to? Jesus is the son of God who came for us. Doesn't seem that complicated, does it? It doesn't seem that revolutionary today. But let's be honest this morning. This is something we ought to, in our lives, get back to. Simply, uh, simply holding a high view of Jesus and proclaiming him to those around us. So many people today have relegated their faith to simply this, telling people this. Jesus loves you. Hey, you know Jesus loves you? I told four people today that Jesus loves you, and that's great, and I, I, I commend you for that. But, but here's, the, here's, here's the problem with, with just telling people Jesus loves them. is to, In today's day and age, people have no idea who Jesus is. And they've got these preconceived notions of what they think he is or what they want him to be. But, but what people need is not just, an, uh, uh, hey, hey, Jesus loves you. What they need is Jesus loves you, and here's who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. He is deity. Get this, to get the full extent of what Jesus has done, we need to know the full reality of who he is. For other people to get the full reality of the gospel, the full reality of salvation, they have to know who Jesus is. And biblically, there's one view of Jesus. One view and only one view. It sounds kind of narrow, but, but truth is narrow. Truth is exclusive. There's one view of Jesus, and it's simply he is the son of God. When, when we see this, Jesus is the son of God, what, what, what Saul was claiming was Jesus is God himself. He is fully God and fully man at the same time. It's a theological term called the hypostatic union. Excuse me? The hypostatic union. The personal union of Jesus' two natures. The reality with the God that we serve is Jesus has two complete natures. One fully human and one fully divine. And hypostatic means the personal union of Jesus' two natures. Jesus is not two persons. He is one person. Hypostatic union is this divine, mysterious reality that, that the God and man came together in one person perfectly. This is an important truth that so many people often don't understand and often miss. But you miss this truth. You miss the true gospel and you miss the real Jesus. You miss the real Jesus. Wait, can you believe in Jesus and not believe this? Not the real Jesus of the Bible. I did a quick search this week on what other religions believe about Jesus, and it's, you'd be astounded at how many of them, almost all of them, accept that Jesus Christ was actually a person that lived and came to earth. And, and so many of them even believe in the virgin birth, and so many of them even believe that he was a renowned prophet and a moral teacher and a miracle worker full of wisdom and enlightenment. The Jews believe some of these things. The Islam believes some of these things. The Baha'i movement believes some of these things. Buddhism believes and Hindu believes some of these things. Even the New Age movement would accept that Jesus was a good guy. But the true gospel is this. Jesus is the son of God. He is God himself. No other way about it. No bones about it. Jesus is God. To be on the straight and narrow path, to believe, to be reconciled with God, we, we have to believe this. We have to proclaim this truth. You talk Jesus to a lot of people, you know, they're going to they're accept that. Oh, yeah, Jesus, I, I know Jesus. You bring the reality that Jesus is actually the son of God, and all of a sudden that's where it gets sticky, right? It's amazing. It even happens in Christian circles. You bring this truth up. Jesus is the son of God, and people have been taught so loosely the theology that is so dear to us in the word. I've run into many Christians who would kind of agree with that statement, but, but they've been taught something different. Well, that's who Jesus is to you, but here's who Jesus is to me. Jesus, yeah, he's the son of God, but he's, he's, he's more like my little buddy. 
You know, he's there to scratch my back or there to scratch other, others' backs and hang out for a while and talk hobbies. And when I get into mischief, he just smiles and kind of giggles at me. Truth is, Jesus is my friend, but he's a friend like no other. He's the son of God. Others, maybe even some in this room would believe this about Jesus. He's my, he's my personal assistant. No, we wouldn't say that, but we live our lives this way. Everyone wants one of these, right? And so tell someone that Jesus is there to serve all of our needs. And like, who wouldn't want a Jesus like that? Look after my schedule, take care of the details I missed, and come when I page them. Let me tell you this, Jesus cares about the intimate details of my life, but he is not, not here to wait on me hand and foot. I'm here to serve Jesus. He's the son of God. Others believe this, that Jesus is my rich uncle. Again, we never come out and say those words, but he's one of those guys that pops in and out of my life to shower me with gifts, and he's there to call upon when I'm in a pinch, but he doesn't really care about what I do with my life. He just wants to bless me. Truth is, Jesus is my provider, and he does want to bless me, but not always in the way that I want. He has a much bigger plan for my life than to give me everything I want. He wants a relationship with me. He wants to sanctify me. He wants to make me more like himself. Here's the reality of Jesus, the Jesus that we proclaim, the Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that we love, the Jesus that we exalt. He is the Son of God. He's the Lord of my life. Jesus is the uncreated, unparalleled, unequivocal living God. And because he is God, he deserves and demands all of my everything. All that I am is his. And all that I am is to bow down and worship him and serve him with my whole life. I exist for Jesus Christ. Oh, but it sounds so much better to say the other. Just make Jesus whatever you want. When Saul was preaching, he preached a message that honestly made people feel uncomfortable. That honestly put himself in a category that wasn't with the mainstream of society. He was preaching a, the, the true Jesus, the real Jesus. Believing this, that if, if people missed the real Jesus, they'd miss God too. We must believe and preach that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that today? you believe that today? Have you bought into one of these watered-down, false understandings of Jesus Christ. If you believe that today and you proclaim that today, here's what's going to happen probably in your life that also happened in Saul's life. Saul just teaches the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And all who heard him were amazed and said this, They were amazed, they were perplexed, they were confounded. They were like, wow, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? Is this not the guy who's like the the pirate for Christians coming in and like pillaging them? Is this not the one who came here for the purpose to bring down, bring them and bound them before the chief priests? And so they're confounded. They're like, well, how can can this guy be so one way one day and so another thing another day? I'm sure they're sitting there going, there's something to this message or this guy's completely nuts. but it doesn't make him a popular man as we're about to see. So they're questioning him. I'm sure they, they were confounded by his wisdom as well, not just by the fact that this is Saul. Like, this is Saul, but by his wisdom. Remember, Saul was one of those guys that had a lot of Old Testament knowledge running around his head. And, and when he met Jesus, it all started to make sense. And he was the unlocking some of the keys to the Old Testament that the Jewish people had no, had no clue how to unlock because the Messiah unlocks all the Old Testament mysteries. And so they were confounded See, this guy who once blasphemed, as Paul even admits in 1 Timothy 
chapter 1, one who persecuted and one who was an insolent opponent, now all of a sudden he's speaking, Jesus, what's going on? You know what's going on, right? He met Jesus. He simply met Jesus. This, this is the reality of every believer who's, who's met Jesus Christ. We, we have a new desire in our heart. We have a new affection in our heart. We've got new friends. We also have a new message to preach. And it's a message that we simply cannot contain. And just like the people in Damascus were confounded and amazed at Saul, honestly, they should be confounded and amazed at our persistence to speak one name and speak it openly and honestly and never quit talking about Jesus Christ. People should be confounded by our life-changing encounter with Christ that should cause us to come to the same place. What's our greatest joy in life? What's our greatest delight in life? Is is not even talking about our, our hobbies or our kids. It's talking about Jesus Christ. If we're saved in Jesus Christ, that's our greatest joy. It's not even I have to, I, I get to tell you about the one, God himself, who actually came and, and met with me and took me from the path of death to the path of life, who rescued me from the miry pit. The son of God that allowed me to know the God of the universe myself. Get this, brothers and sisters, we study this, get this, that a living faith is a sharing faith. A living faith is a sharing faith. And, and, and I love how this passage is unfolded because, because it's probably not that long. It says immediately. So it's not that long that, that Saul just starts talking about Jesus. We've, we've tricked ourselves in today as believers to think that we've got to take all these courses. We've got to have all this wisdom and all this knowledge and know the scriptures inside out and backwards before we can talk about Jesus. This passage clearly shows that once we're saved, all we have to do is start opening our mouths and God will do the rest. Saul started where he was And went with what he had with an urgency and a passion for God and an urgency and a passion for lost souls. Is that your heart this morning? Is that really your heart this morning? You've just been so enamored with the reality that you're saved that you can't stop sharing. And is that your reality this morning? Think of my own life and how quickly it is to get caught up in everything else that seems so important and yet people around us walking by us who are are dying and they're missing out on the true person of Jesus Christ and we just let them walk and we don't care enough to stop and share with them the good news of the gospel. I know I have some excuses you do so I'm guessing what you're saying for us what you're saying in your heart right now and we say the same thing but I'm so shy. But, But look what happens here as Saul did this look what happens in verse 22 as Saul did this, he increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews even more who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus Christ, Jesus was the Christ. As Saul just started living it, he started getting stronger and doing what he was supposed to do. But I'm so shy. Get this, start sharing the gospel and God will allow you to get stronger at sharing the gospel. But I don't know what to say. Start talking and God will give you wisdom in what to say. And then you'll go back after the first conversation. Like, Here's how I can say that better. How do you get stronger sharing? Open your mouth and share the gospel. And he will teach you what to say. And you'll get better and stronger at it just like Saul did. But I'm such a private person. And Jesus is personal to me. Here's another reality you have to know today. Jesus is a personal. It is a personal faith. But it's not a private faith. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see a private faith that God has called us to. It's like truly being in love with somebody. You just can't keep that to yourself. I don't care how introvert or extrovert you are. You can't keep that to yourself. 
So it is with Jesus Christ. To live in this bold proclamation of his God's son, Jesus. I love how our church is getting this. I said to Brett this week, I'm like, is this being redundant? I feel like the act is just being redundant over and over and over again. And I feel like every second message is about sharing faith. And, and you know, Brett says, it's just starting to kick in for, 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 for us, I think. It's just starting to kick in. And I love how it's starting to kick in, and I don't, I'm not shy to tell you again that part of your calling in this life, the reason why you're still here on this earth after you accept Jesus Christ is to help other people know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If it's just about your salvation, you'd be in heaven already partying right now. But it's not, and so we're left here now to help others know Jesus. I love how you're starting to get this and how it's starting to become a joy to you and a delight to you. Let me, let me without giving away names, let me read for you what I read on a prayer card this week in our, in our, you know, the prayer request card that was so encouraging to me, helping me see that, that you are starting to live this out in a real way and, and rely on the power of God. And, and I'm just going to paraphrase, but, but, but it's, just be encouraged by this. And I want this to inspire you to also be like Saul and be like, be like the other believers who are striving to, to live out our faith and proclaim Jesus. Simply said this, I wanted to pray with someone this week who's going through a really hard time, a sickness actually. I was so scared to ask to pray with them, but I I prayed and God gave me the courage. Praise God for putting his spirit of boldness in me. That's awesome. Average, regular person, just like you and I, that just so wants to love God and make him known. For those of you who think it's not possible, it's possible in Jesus Christ. When we encounter Jesus, the new us can't stop talking about Jesus. And we want others to experience him too. Number two, I want you to write down in your notes is this. I press on in truth no matter what. I can't back down from pressing on in truth no matter what. When the going gets tough, the saying goes, when the going gets tough... Only two of you know that. When the going gets tough, this is Saul. This is the life of a believer. Look what comes next. He confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, so actually there's about three years probably in here between verse 22 and 23. It tells us in Galatians chapter 1, Paul lays out for us what's happened. He's gone away for a little bit, comes back to Damascus. So he's still learning. He's still growing. He's getting stronger in in sharing the faith. He's getting stronger in his ability to proclaim Jesus Christ. So when he comes back to Damascus, after many days, being three years, that's a lot of days, the Jews plotted to kill him. He got so proficient at proclaiming Jesus. They're like, okay, enough of this guy. Now he's back. Let's just end this once and for all. But their plot became known to Saul as they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. In other words, the cities back then were all, they're all gated. There's like, they're all big walls. Like you can't climb these walls. You can't get over these walls. You can't dig under these walls, big walls. And there's a few gates you have to come in and out. So what they did is they went and put their little cronies at each gate and undercover little, little, little Mr. Potato Head glasses, probably in the hat, you know, Looking out for Saul, let's get him. But look at this. They're watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening the wall, lowering him in a basket. Somehow, I love how God works, somehow God makes it known to Saul and disciples, the Holy Spirit brings to light this plot so that God can preserve his life that he might continue on with ministry. And so the disciples are like, well, how do we save Paul's life? We know, we know if he walks through any of these gates, he's going to die. So they went and they got a little, you know, one of those little Rubbermaid things. 
strapped some ropes to it and, and found a hole in the wall and put him through. I love this picture because I think it balances us out. We're going to get to the other side of this in a minute, but I think it balances out in our understanding of what it is to stand and proclaim Jesus Christ. Not always are we called to stand and defend to the death. Sometimes we have this idea that we all have to be martyrs for Jesus. Sometimes we are called to be martyrs for Jesus. But sometimes, sometimes God calls us to retreat in order to preserve lives and further ministry. Sometimes God calls us to retreat to preserve the relationship and not harden a heart harder to the message of Jesus Christ. You understand, right, that we are called to proclaim. We can't make the message go in. We can't save a soul. We can't make the lights go on. We can't make belief happen. We are called to proclaim. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is going to say, okay, you've got to stop talking now and you've got to let me do the work. All of us, honestly, some of us need to get that. We're so tenacious and we're so persistent that we sometimes do damage by and ignoring the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, not always, God wants us to like take a leave of absence and let his Holy Spirit work with the words that we've already implanted in someone's heart from his word. So Saul does this. And he goes off to Jerusalem. He's okay. Obviously, I'm not going to be accepted here. You know, my, my friends, I've told them over and over and over and over and over and they're just not getting it and they don't want to get it and Every family reunion, I come with the same message, and, I'm, and I'm, I, I, I love Jesus, and I'm pounding it, and I'm pounding it, and I'm pounding it, but they're just getting angry at me, and they're getting angry at me, and now I'm finally... Sometimes it's time to move on. Saul moves on to Jerusalem. He's like, okay, they're not getting it. They're not, they're not, it's not the place for me. He goes on to Jerusalem, and get this, Jerusalem was actually probably a worse place for him to go for danger than Damascus. Jerusalem was a place of like, okay, talk about jumping from the frying pan to the fire. You think he's going to retreat, right? He's going to go into hiding for a few weeks. He's going to go up into the mountains and pray. He's going to go recollect himself. You know where he goes next? Straight to the heat of the battle, straight to the heart of the fire, straight to where it's going to get harder for him and not easier. So it's it's the most dangerous place for him to go, but it's the safest place for him to go if God is leading him there. Hard to wrap our minds around because we think in our culture, safety and comfort and, and go where it's easier. God often calls us to go where it's not easy for his glory, for his purposes. So he goes to Jerusalem. Look what happens in Jerusalem. He attempts to join the disciples, and they're all afraid of him. So obviously they didn't have YouTube back then, so they couldn't see videos of Paul preach, or Saul preaching, right? Obviously they didn't have emails. They couldn't send a contingency. They didn't have like, someone to like, hey, here's, here's who Saul is. So all of a sudden Saul shows up in the back of their meeting. Guess what they're all doing? Uh-oh. I've heard stories, but I'm not sure. They'd be just like us. Cautious, And then this guy Barnabas, he's the son of encouragement. Every church needs a Barnabas, right? He's everybody's best buddy. Oh, come on, guys, this love. You know, he's, he's one of those guys. He vouches for him. He brought him into the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. She's like, hey, here's the guy's story, man. Like, I've heard this. I've seen it firsthand. Here's the guy's story. And how God spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so the disciple, well, if Barnabas knows you, he's a pretty good guy. You're in. So in Jerusalem, though, he keeps... Going, notice how he retreats in verse 25, but his retreat didn't mean he, didn't mean he stopped talking about Jesus Christ. He just found another avenue, another, another group of people to share with. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly. Look how it says twice, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, the Greeks. But they also were seeking to kill him. 
When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, where he first came from. Okay, just stop and think about all this happening for a minute. Radical encounter with Jesus Christ. Disciples are teaching him. He's fired up, thinking that, man, I'm going to preach and people are going to become saved. It's going to be awesome. And the opposite happens. Jesus died. Why don't we kill you too? Why don't you go join him? A little discouraging, don't you think? Me, I'm like, maybe, maybe I should maybe leave that to somebody else. Maybe I'm not ready for Maybe, maybe I'm not good at this. Instead, God says, you know, go to Jerusalem where it's even going to be harder and keep preaching. And so he goes to Jerusalem. He keeps preaching boldly the name of Jesus. And in Jerusalem, again, even his own, even his own followers are a little iffy of him. And then, and then the Greeks there want to kill him. At this point, you and I are what? I'm out. Tried, Lord. Gave it my best shot. They want to kill me. They want to kill me. I'm going to buy a little house in the woods, and I'm just going to live there, and I'm going to do my thing. We'll have a nice little Christian gatherings. And yet, and then look what Saul does. He, he keeps going in the name of Jesus. There's a passion within him that cannot keep his mouth closed. I know some of you get that not keep your mouth closed part, but the passion for Jesus, and he can't stop talking about Jesus Christ. When he says it preached boldly, here's what he did. He preached freely and openly and fearlessly, nothing hindering his lips from speaking the truth. We talk more about how we get tongue-tied and our mouths get clammy rather than the freedom that God gives us and the Holy Spirit to preach the truth. Look at this also. He's debating, he's disputing against the Hellenists, the Greeks. Somehow in our culture, we've relegated sharing our faith to as long as people are nice and calm and willing to listen, I'll share. As soon as there's any moment of any point of any like disagreement or dissension, guess what we do? I'm out. We're pre-programmed peacekeepers in Canada. And yet, here's Saul standing in the hardest place in the world to stand against the hardest people to reach, disputing against the Hellenists. But isn't arguing bad? But isn't causing dissension bad? What do you think? Most of us would be like, uh-huh. But here's the other side. Here's the other side of the, sometimes God calls us to shrink back. Sometimes God calls us to stand up. We all nod with like, yeah, I, wanna, I agree with you, Pastor. You're supposed to shrink back sometimes. Sometimes God calls us to stand up and stand in and take the hits and take the fire in the name of Jesus. And even be willing to dispute. Not dispute, like, man, I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to prove you wrong. Not that dispute isn't like, well, I'm going to take away the, the debating champion belt out of this. But, but dispute isn't like, man, I, I, I just want your heart to see Jesus Christ. It's so important that I can't stop coming. You know, you say you don't want to hear, but, but it's so important. It's your life on the line. It's your soul. It's your eternity. And I'm going to keep talking because I love you that much. And I love the Lord that much. Sometimes debates are necessary. I don't like them, you don't like them, but sometimes debates are necessary. I want to tell you this is a healthy way and an unhealthy way to debate. And there's a a truth and love thing going on here. Why do we debate sometimes? Why do we have some invigorating conversations with people that get a little bit impassioned for the Lord? Because we want to help people. We want to win the heart, not the argument. 
We want to convince people of truth and point them to Jesus. You have to understand this with me, brothers and sisters. Yes, the gospel is good news. Yes, Jesus Christ came and did some amazing things on our behalf, but but you also have to understand this. Sometimes, most of the time, truth hurts. The truth hurts. It doesn't matter how gently you share. It doesn't matter how much love you have. The truth simply hurts. It hurts when people point out the truth about us. It hurts. It's gentle, nice, calm. It hurts because it's not fun to see who we really are sometimes. We point out the truth of sin. and confronts the reality of sin. No matter how gentle you are, it's sometimes going to cause a negative reaction. When you share with someone the need of a Savior and the fact that you are not, you can't earn your salvation, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, it, it sometimes causes people to have an adverse reaction to us and our message. But here's the truth God teaches us, that truth has to still be stood for. God's people are never watered down, flimsy, floppy, fitting with the culture people. They're always stand against the grain. Stand up for Christ no matter what the cost. Always in grace, always in love, but never compromising the truth. Somehow I think we've gotten our Christian culture today that somehow we think it's godly to never talk about God. I'm just loving my brother. Really? To not tell them that they're lost and they're dying and they're missing out on the abundant life that Jesus promised now and forevermore. How is that loving? If we love the Lord and we care about people, we're going to have to be willing to engage in awkward, hard conversations with others. I don't like teaching you this because I don't like hearing these kind of things because I like to be comfortable like you do. I don't want you to... Come across hardship. I don't want you to be in awkward spots and family and friends. And and I don't want people to to, to want to hurt you or harm you or kill you like what's happening here. I don't. But what I do want to help you do is be faithful to God. But I do want you to help you be faithful to God. Above all else. And be bold like God wants you to be bold. That is where your life, your faith becomes alive when you're bold for Jesus. Stale faith. uh, Missing out on the wonder of Jesus' faith. It's probably because you haven't been talking about Jesus. Put yourself in the line of fire and things change drastically. If we love the Lord, we care about people, we're going to be willing to have these hard conversations. The Spirit gives us boldness to love our detractors, debaters, and disputers enough to engage them with the right mind, the right heart, and the right motive. Engage them for the hope of salvation, not condemnation. Even if you look at this, the result of this was not more people saved. It was more people hating Saul. You willing to stand for Jesus, truly? And even have people not like you for the gospel? That's a true Christ follower. That is a true Christ follower. Think of all the things that Jesus Christ has done for you. He put it all on the line for you. What will he not do what will we not do for him in even standing and professing his name before those around us? 
My prayers would go through the book of Acts that we will all be so inspired by Jesus Christ that we'll leave this place and not want to go home and lock ourselves in our house. We'll want to go out of this place and proclaim to the, from the rooftops the reality of a risen Savior. That we would all be like Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zindensdorf, who said this, I have but one passion, it is he, it is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world and henceforth that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Jesus Christ. I have but one passion, it is he and it is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world and henceforth that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Jesus Christ. Love how Acts 9 starts with Saul hunting down Christians. And here's where we're going to transfer back to Peter next week. And kind of the, the story of Saul takes a little hiatus. And we end the kind of little compartment here on Saul's life with him being the hunted. The hunter turns to the hunted in Jesus' names. In Jesus' name. Sometimes you have to face adversity, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. You're willing to face adversity for Jesus Christ is what he calls us to. So it shows that we love him. We're willing to put it all on the line for him. Here's the last point. You can't miss verse 31. Again, so easy to gloss over. You can't miss 31 because this is the key to the whole thing. This is the key and the power and the, and the, the wisdom and the strength to, to do all the things I've been talking to you about today. If you're like me, you're like, you're like oh man, like I can't do this. I can't do this. You're right. You can't do this. But look at verse 31. We can only do this as we pursue faithful dependence upon God. We can only accomplish this mission if we pursue faithful dependence upon God. God's called us to a mission, and he's created it in such a way that we can only accomplish it as if he is the main part of our lives as we seek to, seek to live out his, his mission he's called us to. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Look, in the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all this uh, adversity, look what's happening yet. Yet peace is happening in their hearts. And they're being built up, not torn down. As you put your life on the line for Jesus, you're being built up and not torn down. And look what they did. They walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And as they did this, the church multiplied. Isn't that awesome? Okay, God, I got it. I want, I want, I want. But you, you can't, God, you can't want to apart from the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Here's the key to living out missional living. Missional living is ultimately walking in reverence of God and reliance on his Holy Spirit. Missional living is ultimately walking in reverence of God and reliance upon his Holy Spirit. Please write this down so you don't miss this. Please don't charge out of here thinking that now you're going to do this. You're going to be like, you're going to be like the savior of the world. Missional living is ultimately walking in reverence of God and reliance upon his Holy Spirit. Here's the key to successful missional living. One is fear of the Lord. It's a fear of the Lord. What's a fear of the Lord? It's not walking on eggshells going, oh, I hope if I don't screw up, if I miss an opportunity. Then God's going to come and he's going to smite me. That's not fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is this. Fear of the Lord is living in a reverential awe of our creator. Fear of the Lord is this. It's seeing the glory of God and a desire to be near him and identify with him and live for him above all else. Fear of the Lord is this. I just want to be found faithful to the God who saved me. I see all that Jesus is. I see all that he's done. And I just, I'm so compelled by Christ that I want to now live my life full out for his glory. If that means death, I'm in. I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. 
Fear of the Lord is simply this. It's an awe of God knowing that he is the most glorious person that I've ever met and he is the greatest salvation, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. This is what we live in. You live in, in the reality that Jesus is ultimately it and these things will come naturally to you. You don't have to force them. You don't have to try harder for them. You live with your eyes on Jesus in the majesty and the glory of who he is. You know what's going to happen? You're so looking at his face and you're so consumed with his face, the face of those around you won't even seem to matter. You're so consumed with listening to the voice of God that the voices of those around you sound like Charlie Brown's teacher in your ear. So consumed with Jesus, so consumed with Jesus that all you want is his stamp of approval on your life. You don't care what anyone else says in a healthy way, in a good way. Here's what living in reverential awe of God is. It's one in God's applause more than man's. It's one in God's leading more than others. It's one in God's name more than any other, including mine. How do you get there? Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't take the word for granted. Don't take worship for granted. Don't take prayer for granted. Don't take the gathering of believers for granted. Spur each other on to have a greater awe of God. You feel the awe of God leaving your heart, and you're just, God's becoming ho hum. And I just the, the person that I, get on your face and call out to God and say, "Oh God, I need a I need a, a renewed awe of who you are. I don't I don't just want to come into your presence for another moment and just be ho hum about you, God. I, I want a renewed awe of who you are. Show me your glory, God. Show me my sin. Show me how awesome you really are." And keep doing that over and over and over again. And these things will come naturally to you. And then live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What's the comfort of the Holy Spirit? It's the, the, the assurance and the strength and the joy that the Holy Spirit brings us. The only way to live this out is complete surrender and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. If you're going to live on mission, you're depending on God in you to be all that you, to, to, to be all that you need and to give, to be all that you need and to give you all that you need. It's in the Holy Spirit that you find wisdom and courage and faith and love and humility. As you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So the number one goal of believers as we think about on mission is to, yes, promote Jesus. Yes, stop short of nothing, of making his name known. But ultimately, it's to draw near to God and abide in Jesus Christ. Wait upon Jesus Christ that he will empower us to realize that there will be obstacles, there will be doubters, there will be mistakes, there will be hard work, but there will also be no limits with him. It's a verse I've been thinking about all year long this year, ever since January 1st, and it's never left me yet, and I'm going to share it with you right now. That kind of summarizes how we ought to live in the glory of Jesus and the wonder of, of who he is and in the power of his spirit. It's Isaiah 40, verses 28 to 30. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not be faint. It's only when I pursue a holy and healthy fear of the Lord and reliance upon God that I have the grace and the strength to live in him and for him. It's only in God that we can ever say, I won't back down. Brothers and sisters, this is a prayer of my own heart for this coming year. This is a prayer of my heart for our church, a prayer of my heart for you today. That we wouldn't just be sitting back waiting for things to happen, believers, but we'd be New Testament believers who love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
and love our neighbors so much that we're willing to put it all on the line for Jesus. And I won't hold back until the day that I meet him. Let me pray. God, what a challenging yet encouraging passage we see here from Saul's life that transformed Saul. Father, we know that you've transformed many lives here. Oh God, would we be able to see the life, same life transformation that Saul saw in his life with the Holy Spirit? Would, Holy Spirit, would you come now and, and ignite our hearts to love you and love the Father and love the Son so much that we can't hold back in making you known to those around us? God, I pray you'd free us from the fear of man which plagues so many of us. God, I pray you'd, fe- you'd free us uh, from our, our, own, uh, our own weaknesses and our own strength that we think hold us back and instead oh god help us to get our eyes on jesus that we might make an impactful difference in the world around us god for those here that have never yet shared their faith in jesus oh would this be the week would this be the month would this be the year where that happens in your name where they might experience the full power of the holy spirit and the joy and the wonder of talking about their lord and savior god would you do that in people's lives for those lord who are who are passionate about evangelism but have just sort of fallen off the wagon a little bit lately god would you restore unto them uh, the full burden for souls, the full desire to to not waste their lives, but to live them for your glory. Would you give them boldness and courage to openly and freely speak of the name of Jesus, the Son of God. Father, for those here that are passionately pursuing you and putting their lives on the line every day, give them courage, God. Give them the assurance that you're with them. Give them them faith and wisdom and, and, and love and humility. Give them, oh God, everything that they need, be all that they need, Lord, and give them everything they need to fulfill this mission you've called them to. Father, our ultimate desires, we just want to be found faithful. We just want to be found faithful. We want to be a faithful church. We want to be a faithful people. Not just to live it out in front of each other, but to live it out in the world where the rubber really meets the road. Oh God, give us, give us, give us holy passion, holy desire to hold nothing back as we live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.